Welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. It's important that we consider and plan for all aspects of life as the Earth's climate begins to change. One aspect of that that is not getting enough attention is the impact of these changes on our psychological health. Susan Clayton is the Whitmore Williams Professor of Psychology and Chair of Environmental Studies at the College of Worcester. She is a social psychologist and has been dealing with mental health in our changing climate for some time. She's very kind to come to us and discuss some of her work and the observations that she has made. Dr. Clayton, thank you so much for being with us. I'm very happy to be talking with you today. It's always very interesting for people to know how did you get involved in such a project? What process brought you to your work in climate change issues? I think as is often the case, I didn't necessarily foresee where my work would take me, but there are two things that brought me to this place. One is I've been interested for a couple of decades, actually, in the way in which the natural environment has significance for people. It has you know, emotional significance and social significance. So I was looking at different ways in which people interacted with the natural environment. And of course, climate change leads you to think about changes in those interactions and those relationships. Also, I have a background in thinking about social issues and social justice. So it became clear to me that environmental issues were, were very much social justice issues and so began to think about the, the health implications of climate change as this particularly salient environmental issue. When you say social issues, I think a lot of people may not fully understand. Can you elaborate? What do you mean by a social issue? Water wars, territory wars, what? By social issue, I really just mean an issue that is that has significance for our society and to some extent is being talked about in our society. So you might think, what are the current social issues? Something like immigration, gun control, previous social issues. Prejudice is always kind of a social issue. Affirmative action is a social issue. So, so things that are relevant to the way in which our society functions. Makes sense and very important. So let me ask you some questions here, because I think as my little bit of reading and talking to people about this is that they look at the climate issues and they are in some respects slow coming. And it's almost as if it's going to lead to a permanent or never ending anticipatory anxiety by the same token. And I realize I'm asking two questions in one question. The opposite. Are people growing weary of hearing about all these issues? Your thought on that? Well, I think you've identified a very important aspect of climate change, which is that it is ongoing and we don't have, we can't say, okay, it's bad, but it's all going to be over by you know, 2050 or 2100. It, you know, there's no definable endpoint, and that, that has to be affecting the way we respond to it, although I, I'm not quite sure how. I don't get the sense at this point that people are getting less anxious. I'm sure there are days on which people are tired of hearing about it, but overall, I don't think we've reached anything like that saturation point. I think it's still on the increase in terms of attracting more attention. What bothers me is that so many people in politics refuse to acknowledge that climate change is a real factor and scientifically proven. How does that affect the way people look at the challenges of real climate change in their mental health? Is, does, it, does it make a mockery of what you are seeing and worried about? Well, it's interesting. That's such a complex question. I think that one of the ways in which people respond is emotionally. So I hear often this report that part of the, the emotional response to climate change is frustration and anger at these other people that are 
you know, standing in the way of us effectively confronting the issue. It can also, and I, I don't know if this, if you're kind of hinting at this, can be an opportunity for some people. It can be an excuse to ignore the issue because, oh, well, I, I hear it might be an issue, but so-and-so says it's not, so I'll just wait until we've reached consensus. So it can justify inaction at some level. Which can be very dangerous because it postpones the obvious as far as you and I are concerned. Absolutely. Climate change, it's very clearly the case that the longer we wait, the harder it will be to address. One of the things that has always bothered me is that a lot of people, maybe not as many as before, but a lot of people tend to think that somehow our technology, our science will fix the problem before it gets any worse. Your thoughts on that? It's an interesting question. I have seen at least one study that talked about technological optimism among young adults. In another study where support for technology sort of was associated with less engagement in conservation behavior, but then there has been other research that has found, in fact, a positive relationship. The way I explain that to myself, or at least speculate about it, is that to some extent, belief in technology can give you hope. So you think, okay, things are looking pretty bad, but I suspect that we can invent something that will help us to deal with this. And that's important. Whereas for other people, again, the technology can be an excuse. You know, I don't have to personally take action because somebody else will take care of it. I think this is true in a lot of ways with regard to climate change. We have to find a happy medium where we encourage enough hope that people don't just give in to a kind of existential despair, but we don't let it replace the need for personal action. Do you think that part of the hesitancy perhaps is the very harsh reality that if the climate changes as much as is being predicted, it's going to force a lot of people to change their lifestyles? Yes. Is this a topic which you find is a, is an obstacle as you begin to study this further? Well, I think it is an obstacle, and I don't think it has, for the most part, been labeled in this particular way, although I remember reading a piece in the New York Times that talked about an ex existential threat to ranchers, which is kind of what you're talking about, an existential threat. But one of the ways in which it has been discussed is that we have a tendency to resist things that threaten our way of life you know, the system that we take for granted and within which we operate. So part of the resistance to acknowledging climate change can be the desire to support the way of life that we are most familiar with. And so the more people say, oh, you have to change what you're doing, capitalism has brought us to this, this place or some other major ideology has brought us to this place. It's very, it's very difficult cognitively and emotionally to sort of throw out the whole system that way. Do you find or have you any evidence that older folks tend to be more or less aware of this than the millennials or, or other age groups? Is there any sense of that? That's a good question. I, I, I believe that the research tends to show that younger people are more concerned and more, more aware. But I, I think that it might not be consistent. There are places in which you find older people more concerned, for example. But I'm not positive. Okay. Some of the concerns in reading your work as well and the works that you've been associated with, are such things as what's going to happen as weather patterns change, sea level rising, heat. What are the emotional and sociologic components that you have seen or have come to worry about as you discuss these issues? Well, I mentioned that some people certainly have this sort of externally directed frustration and anger. I think the most common response is anxiety. You know, worry. And I think that's tied to 
the uncertainties around climate change. We can't say exactly it will rise by three degrees, and in Ohio, you'll see the following consequences, and in Florida, you'll see these other ones. So we, we don't have that level of specificity about magnitude or location or anything like that. Our anxiety is tied in part to that uncertainty. I think one of the interesting reactions that people report is sometimes a sadness or even a grief. There's a sort of a mourning for what is being lost. That's interesting because when I was reading this material, the word that dropped out of the sky into my head was safety. I've always felt safe on the earth, and now maybe it's not as safe as I thought. And that just reverberated in my head. I actually think that is one of the um, – we have very little evidence that speaks directly to that, but I think that is one of the most profound changes that we take for granted. You know, if everything else will change, but the environment will remain relatively stable. So I can't help but think that at a psychological level, it's, it's profoundly unsettling to think that the environment itself is changing. I do see the occasional anecdotal quote about that. I remember one from someone who had been through Hurricane Sandy saying, your house in your neighborhood is destroyed. You learn nothing is, is stable. And to say nothing is stable, that's a pretty profound statement. But I think we have very little evidence yet about how that might affect people as this becomes more and more, I think, visible to us. One of the things that I read, and I don't quite know how far to accept its validity, but it frightened me. And it said that as the heat goes up, we're going to see a higher incidence of crime because it's going to be hot in the city. And it got to sound like it was a movie that was being one of those gloom and doom movies. And I don't even know where to begin to go with that, but I saw it in print. Is that the sort of thing that you folks are looking at to try to figure out how to avoid, or is that completely not related? Oh, no, it's it's a very big part. You know, I think climate change is associated with these very dramatic events, like increases in natural disasters. But the impact, the sort of more gradual impacts are going to affect a larger number of people those more gradual impacts, one of the ones that identify most clearly is rising temperatures. You're probably aware that there's been research in psychology for a good half century, I think, showing that heat has certain negative impacts. It makes people more aggressive. It tends to make them less helpful to each other. Just at a very basic level, we have reason to think that higher temperatures will have those effects. And then there have been some fairly recent papers in the last few years that have been able to demonstrate this in a natural environmental setting fairly convincingly that higher temperatures are associated with more intergroup conflict, for example. And then just I think in the last six months, a couple of papers linked higher temperatures to greater reported mental health problems, like serious mental health problems, and also greater incidences of suicide, and suicide often being considered a form of aggression directed inward. So yes, it is scary, and it is extremely likely that the increased temperatures are going to lead to more of these kinds of phenomena. In preparation for this, I came across a term that I've not seen in many years called an acculturation crisis, as people have to leave an area perhaps because it's underwater or it's drought and they have to move to another culture, another country. And this is a major transition as well, which could be difficult. Is there much thought about this? Yes. Increasingly, within the last five or 10 years, people are starting to notice those cultural impacts. And, and there's two levels on which that's important. 
different communities have different levels of, of connection to a specific geographic location. It's often indigenous communities that are very closely tied to a particular place, although it's not only indigenous communities. So there's been some work with communities in the far north, indigenous communities who have had to move because their communities are sinking into the permafrost or they're being washed away into the ocean. We also know that there have been some on the Gulf Coast because of the environmental changes there, also native communities. And so two bad things are happening. One is that by losing their place and being forced to migrate, they are actually losing part of their culture. Their culture can be so tied into particular ways of interacting with the natural environment through fishing or other ways of using the water or sort of particular kinds of food that they traditionally use. But then on top of that, we know that your community can be a powerful source of resistance or, sorry, resilience when you're experiencing mental health threats. So not only are they being more stressed, they have fewer sources of resilience, as it were. And so some studies have been showing higher rates of, for example, substance abuse in these communities. So to follow the thought, how do we develop a sociologic or a psychological resilience, so to speak, in the face of these climatic changes and to do it without going into a panic? What do we do? So panic doesn't help anybody. And I think thinking about panic makes me think about a sort of feeling of, of being out of control. And one way to combat that is through information. We can become more resilient by informing ourselves. And I sometimes think of this as like the monster under the bed syndrome. If something is too scary to look at, it remains scary. But if you kind of bring yourself to look at it more closely, it might turn out it's not so scary after all. It's a problem, but it's just a problem. We need to bring our resources to deal with it. So thinking about, well, what is really going to happen? And just informing yourself can be a powerful contributor to individual resilience. Maintaining a sense of optimism is very important. So that's why we need to think carefully about the amount of emotion and, and type of emotion that we elicit when talking about climate change. And then being connected to your community in a variety of ways. I think it's, it's really important for individual resilience as well as, of course, contributing to community resilience. In very practical ways, being connected you know, can provide you with that practical help if there's a disaster. You know, whether it's somebody who will check on you to make sure you're okay or you know where to go to connect to get the information you need. Beforehand, you might get information from these connections about how to help prepare for the kinds of changes that you're facing due to climate change. And then these social connections can give you also a feeling of empowerment and potentially even of meaning that are also very strongly associated with resilience. Are we teaching our kids enough? Are the educators and parents and clergies and politicians doing enough to move this in the right direction? Oh, probably not. I mean, that's a very broad question. So I'm sure there are specific groups that are giving good education. But I think as a society as a whole, we're not there. My impression is that a lot of young people, I mean, clearly we've seen in the last month a whole lot of young people's movements, which are wonderful and inspiring to me to read about. I talk to a lot of college students because I teach college students, and many of them feel powerless. So they, they're learning enough to know that it's a problem, but they're not learning enough to feel, in some cases, that there are solutions or especially that the things they do will make a difference. I do think we need to give a more powerful message that not just about the problem, but about how to deal with the problem. 
You are part of a publication by the American Psychological Association called Mental Health and Our Changing Climate. I think it was 2017. Very good. It's available on the internet, and there are sections in there about the resilience, and I think people should look at that to get a sense that in, in greater detail than we can do in this relatively short podcast, but I thought it was very balanced. I think it was a good step in the right direction, and I want to thank you for bringing it to the literature. It's important. Well, thank you. I hope it has been helpful. It's necessary that we do this, and I think it will be helpful. I was very intrigued and pleased to see that the psychologists are actually being so proactive, to use the term, in this manner. And I just don't want this to be something down the road that people can say, oh, yeah, we talked about it. It's not just to be talked about. I think the let me rephrase that. These potential psychiatric and sociologic sequelae of climate change are very real. Mm-hmm. What What are you doing now? I mean, what's your projects right now? Well, I would say I'm continuing to try and understand the emotional responses to climate change and who feels them and you know, under what circumstances are they likely to emerge. So that's my most immediate project. In the long term, I've I've been trying to keep this issue active or more salient for psychologists. And I don't mean to imply that I'm the only person, but that I am one of the people who are trying to keep this issue in, in the, the mind of my fellow psychologists. So I'm constantly or, or at least frequently thinking about that. I'm fortunate to be a lead author on the next assessment for the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Good. That, too, is taking a lot of effort. But very satisfying by giving a reason to really look in detail at the literature and see what the science is showing about the potential impacts of climate change and hopefully be able to bring that to the attention of people who can make a difference. I wish you good work and that you never stop doing this. It is critically important and people need to listen to what you are saying, what you are finding, and then to make changes both in their own lives and as much as they can, obviously, in their communities. Susan Clayton is a professor of psychology at the College of Worcester. She has been very kind to talk to us about one of her passions, which is the nature of climate change and the effect that it's going to have on our mental health and in our communities. Dr. Clayton, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thanks again for a great conversation.